Hey, um, if you're looking for a spot to sit, there's actually a lot of seats just right over there in the first service. Huh? Get out of bed like the rest of us. You ready for my Jasper Weaver moment? People die in bed. <laughs> you wanna hear something funny? My grandpa, after I was married, I had a wife, I was a grown up. Jasper Weaver would sit in my driveway and honk his horn, regardless of whether anybody in the house is awake or not, until I would get up and go to McDonald's and eat breakfast with him. <laughs> and do you wanna know why he went to McDonald's? It wasn't because he liked the food. It's because all the ladies in there knew his name. <laughs> hey, Jasper, oh, I got Get out of bed, go to the first service. What are you guys doing? Uh, you know what time of the year it is, right? I'm happy to report it's the time of the year where if you folks down here in Houston wanna watch football, you gotta root for the Cowboys this afternoon. God forbid Texas be overcome by California in anything, including football. This is my first time speaking since July. I, you ever heard that line? You can't fire me, I quit. Uh, I quit my job in July. I'm not a pastor anymore. And some might could argue like, well, we could argue never really kind of were fair. I don't know. But like I haven't officially spoke in, since July. Um, and what that means is that my, my style of research has really changed dramatically. And if you're inclined to doubt these numbers, I want you to understand I get it. I get it, it doesn't sound right even saying it back, but for almost 10 years, I would spend between 60 and 70 hours researching whatever I was gonna preach on that week. And I did that three or four times a month um, for about 10 years and 60 or 70 hours a week. What that amounted to was podcasts and audiobooks and things like that. I don't have the attention span to sit and read. So all you teachers that failed me through my entire period of education, you should have just put it in my headphones and let me go outside. Um, but listen to podcasts, listen to books, and if you listen to them on two times the speed, you have that little button that can speed it up, it drives my kids crazy. Like they get in the car and they're like, would you stop? It sounds like a chipmunk. <laughs> That's changed. I, I, I'm not in a position, I'm not in an occupation anymore where I have to study. I get to now do it because I enjoy it. I really like learning the stuff that I learn, and sometimes that's stuff that's completely useless information. Sometimes it, it isn't, but um, I'm, I'm getting to have a little bit more say-so in the things that I learn. One of, the, one of the things I'm enjoying is that I'm getting to sort of maybe personalize what I'm learning right now. I'm doing a podcast for you guys that don't know. Shout out Flatbed Podcast. And, and I only say that for this reason. I love getting to talk to people outside the church setting. I love getting to talk to people that don't know the standard. Bless God, amen, brother. I can't tell you how what that does for me when someone's, yeah, praise God, bless God. Brother. And it's not because they mean it. It's because it's just like this preloaded like, font that they just send out when they don't know what else to say. The world does that too, but they do it with swear words. I don't mean the swear word, that's just a word that they say to fill the dead air, right? In fact, everybody got really uncomfortable. They're like, I don't know if we're allowed to, I don't. You ever, you ever wonder, and I'm not trying to be too thinky or sad or, or you know existential here, but have you ever stopped to consider that in this life, you just get one try. That's terrifying if you're doing anything. 
I almost never get anything right the first try. Almost, literally almost ever. And you get one shot. You get one try. Have you ever sat around and wondered, am I wasting it? Am I gonna get to the end of what I'm doing here and look back and be like, what was I do? What? I wish I could do it over again. That's what regret is, right? When you go, oh, man, I wish I could, I wish I had that one to do over again. I wouldn't have made that mistake twice. And I'm in this place in my life right now where I want to find the sweet spot. I want to find the balance between lighthearted without sacrificing what is sacred. Like, I don't want to surrender the sacred moments. I think of Moses in the burning bush and, you know, God says, take off your shoes. This is a moment that matters. The real pivotal moment in the story of Moses that really mattered that he didn't want to miss. But there's also a story of Jesus one morning when the disciples have been fishing all night and they hadn't caught anything, nothing. And we, we tend to trend towards the sacred. We come into church and everything is sacred. And so we read every story. We even read a moment where Jesus has a moment of sarcasm, but we try to really get the meat. Jesus knew they'd been fishing. He knew they hadn't caught anything. And what does he say? How's it going out there? <laughs> Catching anything? I want to live somewhere in the balance between lighthearted. I want to laugh more. I don't want to try to make everything sacred. I don't want to try to add these and thousand thuses to every element of my life. I'm not, I'm not an incredibly serious person all the time anyway. So as I've stepped away from the job of leading people or being spiritually responsible for people, I hope I die having never had another employee as long as I live. <laughs> and you should hope you never end up as one of my employees. You know, I'm not, I don't think I'm good at it. I wanna find a balance in my life and the things that I'm doing. I'm getting to ride outside horses. I love that. I'm getting to train horses. Like my life is just taking on a new thing. But so what does that look like in my endeavor to follow God and to take responsibility for the things that he's given me? I wanna go to slide number one. This is in Numbers, this is chapter 28, verse four through eight. It says, they traveled from Mount Hor along the route to the Red Sea to go around Edom, but the people grew impatient on the way and they spoke against God and against Moses. And they said, why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? There is no bread, there is no water, and we detest this miserable food. Then the Lord sent venomous snakes. Now listen, when you really break that verse down, have you ever read the verse that God hardened Pharaoh's heart? Like that's a, that's a hard one because we translate things into English just using words that are available in English. When it says the Lord sent venomous snakes, it's basically referring to the fact that God was present as it happened. It doesn't mean that God was like, get them boys. <laughs> Meet my friends, the venomous snakes. It would be really easy to read that and get that interpretation. I can just assure you, if you go do your own research, that is not what that's saying. They bit the people and many Israelites died. I think it's important that you know that God didn't just send his horde of snakes to go bite people and kill. That's important. That's like the nature of God is revealed in that moment. So like if you're thinking, yeah, stick with me for the sermon. That's where we're going. I say sermon very lightly. The people came to Moses and said, we sinned when we spoke against the Lord and against you. The first thing they do is a moment of confession. <laughs> we did this. We caused this. This is all on us. Pray that the Lord will take away the snakes from us. So Moses prayed for the people. Verse eight says, this is, this is the verse, in case you're wondering, like, what of all these verses, what, where are we going? This is it. Make a snake and put it up on a pole. Anyone who is bitten can look at it and live. 
Now, if this was a real sermon, we'd spend the rest of the day parsing out those verses, and by the end, there'd be this big reveal, and this is what it's been saying the whole time, and it's like, remember Scooby-Doo when they take the mask off? That's not a ghost. That's Jerry the plumber. Like, that's usually how a sermon's built, right? Well, I'm just going to do that right here. I'm just going to go ahead and tell you the whole meaning of everything that's being said right there, and I'm going to tell you through one of my own stories. I was in seventh grade. I went to a gas station and I didn't have any money and I was there with my friends. And so like you go through this thing in adolescence where you're like, I'm with my friends, I'm wild, I'm crazy. My mom and dad aren't here. I could do whatever I want. I could kick this thing over if I wanted to. And I had Cadbury eggs and I love Cadbury eggs and I didn't have any money. And it wasn't like it was a gray area where I was like, I wonder if this is wrong. I, I will confess to you right here in front of God and everybody, I stole it. you sinners giggling about that's not <laughs> at the end of this service we're gonna have a moment if you want to raise your hand it wasn't a gray area and there's this saying you know in the cowboy circles growing up like stolen beer tastes better or whatever and i'm gonna tell you a stolen cadbury egg tastes exactly the same amazing <laughs> problem was problem was i was raised in a pretty religious home right it's so like yeah, yeah, uh, that was for sure wrong. It wasn't like in the moment I wondered. I knew it was wrong when I did it. For the next several months, and this, you, you'll know exactly what I'm talking about. Everybody here has done something that, that they knew was wrong in the moment. For the next several months, every bad thing that happened, I could stub my toe back. That's because of the egg. <laughs> I had that coming. I deserve that. I deserve that toe to hurt. Every time I'd miss a calf, like at my little junior rodeos, I'd be like, I get it, God, I'm sorry. Did God, the Israelites are in this moment of blatant rebellion because Moses is like, you guys gotta quit complaining so much. It's like a parent to a child. The minute you tell them don't do it, it just creates an appetite for more. Stop complaining. So they're complaining, they're speaking out against God and they're speaking out against Moses. And the real interpretation of that verse is they happened into a place that had snakes and they started getting bit. But the minute something bad started happening, they're like, oh, this is because of what we did wrong. And the verse, the symbolism of this verse, I'm gonna read it to you again. The Lord said to Moses, make a snake and put it up on a pole so anyone who is bitten can what? Can what? You wanna read it? Can look right at it, can directly face it, can turn and look at it and take in what they're seeing. And remember the verse that says, he became sin who knew no sin that we might become the righteousness of God. It says he became sin on the cross. It was this symbol of what God would eventually do, which is to take sin from being fatal to still being harmful, but without the death sentence all the way back in the Old Testament. The God who would eventually send his son was not sending his pet snakes to go kill people. He was, pro he was projecting what would happen on the cross. I'm gonna give you some more examples for adults because I, I know you guys are probably not stealing Cadbury eggs. Don't. I'm not picking on anybody in particular, but let's just say as, a, as an example, I know there are people in this room who are smokers. And I know that because there are people in this room. <laughs> and they're the ones that are looking nervous right now. It would be like really struggling with this habit, like, oh, it's not good. I really shouldn't be doing this. I really need to quit. And every time you cough, you're like, is this it? Is it happening? Because an action that we know brings consequences, because we're aware of the action, we jump straight to the consequences, right? People who regularly lie are always wondering if this is the day they get caught. 
Every time somebody walks by and gives them a weird look, they're like, what did that person learn that was true? People who battle with their weight or their diets, every time there's any kind of like anything, they're like, is this the heart attack? Oh, that one's you're quiet on? Is the food one? As you're sitting there eating donuts in church, you're like, oh, I'm the... And it's not to pick on anything, anybody in particular. It's not that at all. It's literally to say, as people, we're wired towards actions and consequences. And when we know that our actions are falling short, we're also aware of the consequences that come with that. If I gave you a, a list, any person in this room, I gave you a piece of paper and a pen. I said, by the end of the sermon, I want you to write down 100 things that good people do. You could do it. You could make a list of 100 things good people do. And then if I gave you that exact same list based on your own standard, not anybody else's, just yours. If I gave you that same list, I go, do you all do all of these things? You would not be able to complete your own list. You violate your own conscience. I didn't tell you what to put on the list. You put it on the list and then you said, but I don't do these things. I do all these things. I try. At some point in humanity, in this walk that we're going through, we've got to address the distinction between guilt, which says I'm capable of more, and shame that says I'll never get there. The distinction, this is what Moses is saying, the distinction between your sin, because if Jesus hadn't done what he did on the cross, shame makes the most sense. You're not gonna get there anyway, why try but given what Jesus did on the cross, that sin is no longer a death sentence for him who are in Christ Jesus. That, 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 that shame doesn't make any sense anymore. Guilt that says I'm capable of more, I can do more, I can be better, I'm looking at the process of my life and I'm realizing I could be more is actually beneficial for you. One is bad for you, one is good for you. You guys are so loud, so very encouraging to me today. I feel like, man, they're really getting it by the way they're just like this. Guilt is a reminder of our potential. Shame surrenders the potential because shame, what it does is it releases cortisol in your brain and cortisol is the chemical that releases the fight or flight. You ever been in an argument with your spouse and you realize halfway through the argument your spouse is right? Ladies, you'll know you've won the argument. He's like, I don't wanna talk about it anymore. I just don't have enough patience for this today. <laughs> You're getting on my nerves so bad. Like, I don't even wanna talk about it anymore. Oh. That's flight. What about this one? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. What about you? <laughs> what about what you did 10 years ago? Remember we were driving home, you said that, that thing? What am I gonna do with that? That's the fight. Shame causes us to either attack or just withdraw. Guilt causes us to look at it and live. You guys ever seen how they polish rocks? put them in this like thing with sand and water and they just like shake them and shake them and shake them and what went in is like this natural normal looking rock comes out all polished and beautiful and pretty. I think guilt is the thing that allows us to work through the difficulty of God turning us into something we could be that we aren't and shame is the thing that goes, it's not worth it. There's nothing wrong with me. Look at all the other rocks, they're fine. What's wrong with me? I'm fine like I am. Takes yourself out of the process. Takes yourself completely out of the self-improvement process. Look at it and live. There's a title. I'm so excited. Back when I was a preacher, I couldn't come up with notes or a title, and I got both today. <laughs> I'm going to tell you stories about my own life for, for two reasons, both that should make perfect sense, is that um, maybe, maybe by me just telling you kind of what I'm going through and where my life is, it's like, 
like a comparison. Maybe you're able to listen to this and what is going on in my life will help you in your life. And the second reason I'm telling stories of my life is I can't tell stories of your life. So just the basic simple, like I, it's not to try to elevate anything that I'm going through or anything about my stories. It's literally to draw the comparisons between guilt and shame in my own life. Point one is identity. If you're taking notes, for all the people that are not looking down right now, I assume you're not taking notes, so just take my word for it. Point one, identity. Uh, there's a slide. I wanna show you something, and we'll see if it does, see if it does for you what it does for me. This is like a video that I'll go watch if I'm having a bad day. This, to me, is the kind of stuff I just love. This is 175 steers from Mexico. They've been imported. They've been up here for a while. There's 175 of them, and we stage their feed. We put hay in three different pens, and then they go through that little opening right there. It's how we can check noses and all the stuff like that. And what they're doing is they're going from pin one where the food's gone up to pin two where the food's gonna be. All these steers are from Mexico. And then there's a black steer with a white face right there and his name is Mexico. And they're being driven out of that pasture by two dogs. There's one of them, two dogs. And there's something so cool, I don't know, like that just, that just does something for me. I don't know, maybe it's just the cowboy part of my life, just like a John Wayne movie. I just love being able to send my dogs and knowing that even if the cattle don't want to, I, this is the amount of effort I have to put into the cattle coming to the pen, to the gate, where I want. This is the effort, ready? Maybe even like, because what I know is I've sent out a team of dogs and they understand their deal, they understand the gate, they don't need anything from me, they're like, we got you. Let me tell you about the two dogs, because they couldn't be more different. They could not possibly be more different. One is Gus and he, I've had him since 2015, he is, freakishly smart. You see him do stuff and you're like, that doesn't seem like the amount of intelligence a dog should have. When he was six months old, we pulled up to a pasture. There's one gate and their cattle, the cows are already in the trap. Six months old, he was on the bed of the truck and he just runs around and fills the gap. Let me see. I think we got a picture of him. He's incredibly smart. Yeah. All right. Look at that for just a second. Just take that in. Take that picture in just for a second. We put it back up for a second and take that. And I want you to remember that feeling of, aw, because Gus has bitten every single one of my friends. And he does it right after that sound you just made. Oh, it's kind of quiet. He's really laid back. He's he's not a sissy with people. Randy, uh -uh. he's kind of a sissy with cows. It's a weird thing. He's he's so smart that he will put pressure on them, and if a cow comes after him, he's like, hey, and they'll come back, and eventually he just wears them down until the cows are, oh, I give up. He works in tandem with another dog, and before you ask me, no, I didn't get this name off of a TV show. His name was already ripped before I got him, and the show wasn't even out yet, so knock it off. This is Rip. I'll show you a video of Rip. Now, watch his intensity. I haven't let him go yet. He's asking, can I go? Can I go? Get up. Get a bit. Get a bit. What about? Get a bit. Rip, considerably less smart. He is tougher than a bag full of hammers. Does not mind getting ran over. Just impervious to it. Like if he can hold on, like he would rather bite than breathe. This is his favorite thing in the world to do. Um, he is a huge sissy to people. Has never bit anybody. He's never even growled at anybody. Like he'll crawl on your lap, but he is not a sissy when it comes to cows. You, so here's what I'm, here's what I'm, when I'm trying to draw this idea of identity, you gotta understand that the goal is cows to the gate. You with me? Like we're trying to bring cows through the gate. But you execute that through two very different identities playing two very different roles. You can watch it. I wish you could see it. You can watch it. When a cow turns around like they want to fight, you can watch Gus. He's like, oh yeah? Uh-huh. I got something for you. 
And Rip is like, that one? Ah. The joke, the joke is I would have one really good dog if I could just tie those two together. I wanna encourage you with this. I'm trying to work out the difference between guilt and shame. Guilt says uh, what your potential is. Shame says you're never gonna get there. Shame will always draw your attention to what you are not. I've got an 11-year-old daughter and the world is always gonna show her pictures and videos of people who are prettier than her. The world will always show you videos of people more talented than you, smarter than you, people who bite harder than you do. And you're never gonna feel fulfilled about people who aren't as good as you are at your thing. That doesn't challenge us. What really catches our attention is the things that are better than us at the things that we're bad at. And we constantly have this sense of shame. Well, I'm not that, so what difference does it make? What's the value of my life? If I'm not like that, then I can't even appreciate what I am. When the Bible says, look at it and live, the first thing you've gotta do, and you will not understand what I'm saying until you've lived through it. This is a caught, not taught moment, but just remember that I said it. You've gotta turn and take a very honest assessment of your own life and your own identity. You are not all things to all people. You weren't designed to be everything to everybody, which means you know when to tap in and you also know when to pull back. You know what you're good at, you know what you're bad at, and it allows you to find a space to operate in your strengths. Saw a picture of an x-ray of my teeth. By the way, turns out Mexico is the greatest place in the world to get your dental work done. Things you learn when you move to Arizona. I'm down there with a bunch of geriatrics and they're like, hey. A picture of my teeth on an x-ray doesn't look anything like me. There's like gray lines, bumps, you know, things like you're looking at it and, and the dentist is describing to me what he's seeing. It would be so easy for me to go, that's not me. Uh-uh, that couldn't be true. I've seen a mirror. I know what I look like. So this idea of identifying yourself accurately is gonna be a long, hard process because sometimes people will bring things to your attention and the people you surround yourself with, the community that you're surrounded with, you're gonna learn things about yourself that you really don't like. It is a process to look at your identity and to accept it as beautiful. It's hard to look at yourself with an honest assessment and decide who God created you to be. You're gonna learn things about yourself in this process of looking at it and living that says, that couldn't possibly be true. Any married people? Your spouse ever told you something about yourself and you're like, impossible. Shame, I think, will only show you what you're not. Like it'll show, think of this. Think of how helpful it would be to my dentist if they saw 10,000 x-rays of all the other people, what it's supposed to look like. Still doesn't help you with what I am, right? Guilt allows a few things. When I say guilt, we always think of guilt as being this sadness thing. Guilt should be one of the most inspiring things that you experience because it indicates you know you're capable of more. Guilt can look at what you've tried to be. You could fill a book in your life of all the things you've tried to be and turned out you weren't. Guilt allows you to look at what you have been. Guilt will allow you to look at what you've done. See, that's the hard thing. It's hard to look at what we've done. Men, I just wanna to talk to you for just a second because it's just my experience, but I know that men were not created to be these boring individuals that society tries to turn us into. 
I'm saying this in full sympathy. This is not anti-establishmentarianism, which is, by the way, the longest word in the dictionary. But men, men weren't created to be these safe, well-mannered, mow our little yard, come in and behave things that we've become. That could be a part of it, but that's not your identity. Your identity is not this safe thing that's incapable of protecting your own family. Don't take this the wrong way. I'm not saying everybody go buy guns, let's commit anarchy. I'm not saying that at all, but I'm saying like God created a piece of you that's being deeply ignored. Those men make grave errors. And if that's you, and if your lack of fulfillment in what life has turned you into has caused you to make mistakes, guilt will show you what you have done without disqualifying you from hope or forgiveness. I hope, I hope you hear me. Find the balance of who God created you to be, but if you've gotten that wrong, lean into the guilt that says, I am capable of so much more instead of shame that goes, what difference does it make now anyway? Point one is identity. Point two is freedom. And this one's important, but it's really hard to get to without an understanding of your identity. And it's freedom. Second point is freedom for you guys all still not taking notes. Without identity, there's never freedom. So don't try to skip, right? Because otherwise you're trying to run around in everybody else's freedom. There's a, there's a calf at our place and he's found a hole in the fence and he gets his run of the whole place and he's out on grass and then he sleeps on the hay pile. And I think he does it where the cows can see him. I think he enjoys being seen laying down on their food. But he does a funny thing. It's a funny thing that he does is that when we go over there and feed the cows, they get all happy and they're standing at the gate and you know they do the thing that they do and then we're putting out hay and, and because of how happy they look, he does this. He's like, what? what's that taste like? Same hay he was just laying on. Why do they look so happy? What's going on over there? Well, all, the, all my friends are over there and now they look happy. They don't look like they're jealous of me at all. And he'll go, and he'll put himself back in through the little hole so that he can eat the same hay he was just laying on with all of his buddies. There's a cow. There's a slide. What an idiot. <laughs> the cows are to the right of that fence. He, as you might notice, was to the left of it. But he puts himself back into bondage. He was free. He's cracked the code and he's out. And he will surrender his freedom so he can fit in with his friends. Like I said, I can only tell you stories in my life, but I feel, I feel like there's some correlation here. In your process of improvement, you are going to pass people that you used to look up to, and then you're gonna look back and go, I don't know when I pass them, you have a choice. Do I wanna keep continuing or do I wanna go back? Do I wanna look to my left and look to my right to decide who I am, or do I wanna believe through the guilt, this thing I can't get rid of, I've got this just overwhelming sense of, and I say guilt not as a sad thing, as an inspiring thing. It's like I've got I've just this conviction that I'm capable of more. Am I gonna surrender that and say it through shame? Well, what difference does it make? just an excuse. Listen, you living in shame, it may feel very deep and sad and all these things that we say. It's just stupid. If you've done something wrong 10,000 times in a row, that has no bearing other than pattern in your mind. That has no bearing on the next opportunity that you get. None. You could have done it wrong 10,000 times. 
You could literally be sitting here watching online, weighing in your physical body so much that you can't get off of your bed, and as bad as that is, and as unhealthy as that would be, and as much as that would cause suffering, it does not determine your next meal. I feel like everybody's really careful to get excited about that one, because like, we don't wanna hurt anybody's feelings. It's not for the purpose, I'm not, I get it. Your past failures have no bearing on your future behavior. Did anybody hear that? That's the difference between guilt and shame. His social expectations brought him back, puts him back in bondage because that's what everybody else is doing. You're gonna experience freedom. You need to decide if you wanna keep it or not. Don't sacrifice your process of improvement for the trap of comparison. Slide six, 2 Kings 13, 14 through 19. It says, now Elisha had been suffering from the illness from which he died. So he was suffering, he was about to die, he did die. But before this, he's this feeble old uh, uh, character. He's kind of like a Rafiki. Remember, anybody seen Lion King? Remember Rafiki, the old wise, like, you know, baboon? He's laying there, he's dying, and it says, Jehoash, king of Israel, went down to see him and wept over him, said, my father, my father, he cried, the chariots and horsemen of Israel, look at that up, it's got more meaning. Elisha said, get a bow and some arrows, and he did so. Wait a minute, what's happening? This old, feeble, dying character, all of a sudden, it's like you hear the wind blowing through the room, and all of a sudden, the temperature changes and the atmosphere changes. There's a vibration coming through the room, and out of nowhere, this feeble, old character has a moment of life, and he shoots back up, and he goes, wait, 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 wait. And you gotta think that Jehoash is like, Get a bow and some arrows. And he did so. Take the bow in your hand, he said to the king of Israel. And when he had taken it, Elisha put his hands on the king's hands. Now don't, I would love to be in this room. I would have loved to have been in that room where something significant has happened. There's a moment, there's a window of time opening up. What was happening has, has been temporarily suspended and now something new is happening. There's this opening, there's this opportunity. It says, open the east window. He said, symbolic, open the east window. He opened it, shoot, Elisha said, and he shot. And the Lord's arrow of victory and the arrow of victory over Aram, Elisha declared, You'll be, you will completely destroy the Arameans at Aphek. So he's going, wait a minute, there's symbolism, there's things happening. What happens in the next few minutes is gonna have impact for the rest of your life. And, and Elisha sees it and Elisha recognizes it. He's at a moment, a pivotal moment in his life, which by the way, you only get a few of those. Elisha recognizes it and the king doesn't. Elisha realizes God's in the middle of doing something, that this is pivotal and it's gonna be impactful, that what happens now is gonna affect future and the future generations. And the king misses it. Then he said, take the arrows, and the king took them. Elisha told him, strike the ground. He struck the ground three times and stopped. man of God was angry with him. And he said, you should have struck the ground five or six times. Then you would have defeated Aram and completely destroyed it. But now you will defeat it only three times. The temporary window of our life is so unbelievably important. Think of it this way. Jesus was here for 33 years on earth for 33 years. And we really only get three years of that documented. <laughs> every single day matters. Every single pattern, all the things that you go through. Every day matters. Every day of your life matters. <laughs> But you only get a few real momentous, pivotal moments. Your life is gonna be very, very shaped by a real small number of moments. See, guilt. Guilt says, I'm gonna stick with it. Shame says, 
what difference does it make? Shame is the thing that causes you to wither and fail in the big moments. To quit tapping the ground, to quit firing the arrows, to quit trying, because what difference does it make anyway? I'm a failure, my dad was a failure, my grandfather was, it's just who I am, it's my identity, with me? Guilt says I'm not giving up, there's something here. And you know what, you know what the pivotal moments in our lives usually look like? Small little gates where our career won't fit, our money doesn't fit, our reputation doesn't fit, our marriage doesn't fit, our children don't fit. It's just small little moments where we have to be very, very real and very, very vulnerable with ourselves to get through them. Guilt says, I'm, I'm gonna strip all that down. It's the eye of the needle. You can do your own research. The eye of the needle was the camels had to take everything off that, brought, that they brought and get down on their knees to enter the city. And shame says, what difference does it make anyway? Shame is actually just a cop-out that says, I don't want to. Your shame is literally an excuse for you to go, I don't wanna do that. Gil says, I don't wanna do it, but it's worth it. Find your identity, live in your freedom, keep guilt as close as you can keep it and make no extra room for shame. Lord, I pray that you'll make this make sense. Put it in words that we can understand and live by. I pray in Jesus' name, amen. I think that one of the most difficult things to do in our culture today is for me to know me and for you to know you. I like the illustration of the, the dentist and him showing things in Jordan that Jordan's never seen before. My prayer for you today is that God, that there would be a reflection that you would see of yourself that you've never seen before. I think that this world wants to mold you and shape you the way this world wants to mold you and shape you. But I'm gonna tell you something, there's a higher power in our lives today. His name is Jesus. He's the one who created us in his image. We Christians are so good at beating ourselves up that we have gotten good at beating each other up. And it's about time we stopped all that and we took a fresh look at who God said we was and then began to walk in that light that God sheds in our path instead of stumbling in the darkness that uh, is not from God. And I, it doesn't matter if you're a Christian or not. You can still stumble in the darkness because for some reason we've decided that it's more comfortable to be in the dark than it is to actually be in the light. And if you stay in the darkness long enough, the light will offend you. And there's Christians that have allowed the light of God to offend them. And that's the settling for shame. That's not what God has for you. 
Yeah, I mean, y'all got to get a hold of this. This world could not contain this crowd today. This world could not contain the crowd watching online. This world wouldn't know what to do with a bunch of happy Christians that knew who they were. They wouldn't know what to do with us. And some of y'all would start having to come to the 8 o'clock service. You're just like, I can't. That's just too many people. I can't believe everybody's moving to Montgomery. Well, they need Jesus too. And they're here for a reason. And you have the solution to the problem. I'm not bringing shame on you. You might need to get in the tumbler and get your rocks shined up a little bit. But God's going to make something beautiful out of your life if you let him. But it can't be about you anymore. I tell people all the time, we don't have church for you. We have church for him. We come to worship God. The reason we come to church is for him. We're not going to make it about us. We're going to make it about him. But when we make it about him, he's the one that makes it about us. And it's not our job to do his job. Today. Everybody say today. Today is not yesterday. Somebody needs to turn loose of the shame of their past and begin to walk with the God of their future. It's not for weak people. I tell people all the time, getting old is not for weak people. Following Christ is not for weak people. He's going to give you the strength and the power Everything you need has been supplied for you. You have at your fingertips everything that you need to have peace, joy. So today, today, take a deep breath and look to God. And somebody needs to turn loose of the past before they can ever walk in the future that God has for them. Thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you for helping us. Thank you, Lord, for your many blessings and that you, your plan is your ways are higher than our ways. And we surrender to a God that has more power, more strength, more wisdom, more knowledge, a God that has the answers to every situation and every circumstance in our lives. We surrender to you by faith. We say, God, you are able and because we have you in us, we are able and we can be more than conquerors because you loved us and because you gave your life for us. Thank you, Lord, for it. God, help us, we pray. God, help us, we pray. I'd like for you to keep your heads bowed and your eyes closed this morning. If you've never accepted Christ as your personal Savior, the first step in knowing God is inviting him to come into your life. The Bible says that we've all sinned. We've all come short of the glory of God. He doesn't say that to bring shame on you. He brings that to bring a solution to you. The solution is accepting Christ as your personal Savior. And then it begins a process of knowing God and a process of serving God. And then we begin to be fulfilled because we know what God's plan is for our life. 
This morning, if you've never accepted him as your Savior, maybe if you haven't, you just haven't been living for him, simply by raising your hand, say, Preacher, I need Jesus. I need Jesus in my heart. I need to make him the Lord of my life. Yep, thank you. We want to put a Bible in your hand. Leave your hands up till we get a Bible. And anybody else, Preacher, that's me. We don't want to miss anybody. Slip your hand up high. Thank you, partner. Anybody else? Preacher, that's me. I need Jesus. Anybody else? Thank you, Lord. If you raise your hand, would you come up and let me pray with you? I'd be honored to. I'm so proud of you, partner. So proud of you. Thank you so much. It's a beautiful day. Man, you tell me your name. Blake? You're a good man. I'm so proud of you. Look at you. I'm so proud of you. So here's what it says. This is so cool because it says we've all sinned. I mean, even Jordan sinned. The preacher, I've sinned, everybody's sinned. Come short of the glory of God. We've all done that. But here's a beautiful part. It says if we confess that we've sinned, confess with our mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in our heart that God's alive and he's alive for you, so we'll be saved. And I want to pray with you. Can I pray with you? Sure. Just repeat after me. Y'all pray with us. Just say, Dear Lord Jesus, thank you for loving me. Thank you for dying on the cross for my sins. Lord, I am a sinner. Please forgive me. I invite you into my heart. I invite you into my life. From this day forward, I give my life to you. Help me to read my Bible to pray, show up for church, and get baptized. I love you, Jesus. Teach me to love you more. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. You're a good man. Hey, look at here. This is your deal. It's not, it's not, it's not your, anybody else's deal. This is your deal now. How old are you? 15 years. I used to be 15 a long time ago. I'm going to tell you, you have everything you need. But you have to work it if it's going to work. You have to take ownership. Keep showing up. Let us help you. we got a great... Do you come to youth group on Wednesday nights? Yeah, that's, a, that's, the, that's part of the ticket. Show up for that. Show up for that. Let us help you. I'm so proud of you, Blake. Listen, don't look back. When you mess up, run to God. Always run to him. Don't run from him. Okay, buddy? I love you. Give me a hug. Mm. Listen, go back. Stay with me, please. <laughs> the deception of comparison is... is prevalent in our world today where we compare ourselves with other people and uh, I, you be you you be you and don't be anybody else but you be you and let God show you who you are and uh, and I, I just here's what I want to pray for you I want to pray for you that when you walk out of here that you will have so much joy in your life because of who you are that like if you if you walk down the aisle at Kroger's, you're like, you can't help but talk to somebody about Jesus. It's like, man, this is so cool. 
we gotta get, we've got to get to the point where we really believe what we believe. You with me? So I want to pray for you. Can I pray that over you? If I, if I can, raise your hand. Amen. Lord, thank you for your word. Lord, we surrender our lives to you. I thank you, Lord, for the joy that you brought to us. I thank you, Lord, that we don't have to live in the guilt of our past or the shame of our past, but we can live for the God of our future and we can allow ourselves to embrace this process of life of, of serving a perfect God, pursuing perfection, but not beating ourselves up when we mess up, but learning from that and allowing ourselves to embrace this process of following you. And I thank you, Lord, that you are empowering everybody here this morning, everybody watching online, that you're empowering each and every one of us to do your perfect will and to be the person that you called us to be. And we thank you for it in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. amen. We love y'all. We got a church next week. Bring somebody with you. Come to the first service. It'll you're just crazy good. <laughs>